0: You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Clint Wright. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Amen. Good morning again. I mean, please be seated. And at this time, if you are a fourth or fifth grader, uh, Kim and Matt are here at the back. Uh, they're going to lead you over to... Club 45, and then they'll be back with us later. In the meantime, if you're going to sit right where you are, grab your Bibles or on your device and turn to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, it is a passage that if you have been to a wedding, you've probably heard read out loud. And as you're turning there, I want to read something that I think highlights the tension that sometimes we all feel. The author says it this way, I am certain that you have read about it. You have seen it in movies. You have heard it in song. You've imagined it in your mind. Somewhere, somehow, it has crossed your path. A desire for it lives deep inside all of us, often in painful ways. Its image reminds us of what we don't have. Even creating anger in, those, in us toward others, we blame for stealing its fullness. It taunts our hearts, suggests that we should have waited longer, or that it could still be had if only we turned somewhere else. Many of us have even thought we once had it, only to find out what we really had was a counterfeit Or a well orchestrated lie. So what is this mysterious thing? It's true love. In this chapter. Chapter 13. There is this tension. That God has placed. In each and every one of us. A desire to experience. Fully what love is. But then we live in a world. A natural world. That it is just almost unfamiliar with it. And so today we're going to walk through this passage and it's going to show us this love that we are designed for, that we actually desire, our hearts would crave, and it actually comes through a sacrificial, selfless commitment. It's a love that God intended and he has put that in us. So 1 Corinthians 13, you'll notice at the top of your Bible in a heading there, if you've got the ESV, it says the way of love. Someone said it this way, anything minus love equals nothing. Someone wrote, above all, love. Well, here's how I would title this passage, because titles are not inspired, and we can do that. Here's what I would call this chapter. I would say, true love goes first. Now, this is a passage, if you've been at a wedding, you've heard the love passage. But in context, does it apply to marriage? Absolutely But in the first context, it's talking about the church. And so what we're going to see first is three things that Paul will show that true love is actually greater than. So beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 1, he gives us the first thing that Paul's going to tell us that true love is greater than this. And he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. So the first thing that he tells us that love is greater than, he says, love is greater than beautiful speech. And what Paul is referring to, when he says tongues of men and of angels, he's talking or trying to describe any imaginable communication, whether it's what we experience as humans or even angels, any imaginable speech, that's what I'm talking about, church. He says, meaning if you speak with the most eloquent inspiring and beautiful words and I hope you know somebody that can but if there is no love he says it's like a clanging cymbal and if your child's ever gone through sixth grade band you know what that's like man a cymbal will ring out and it rattles your ears it gains your attention but then just in a few moments it's almost forgotten He says, that's what it's like with language or communication without love. It's like a clanging cymbal that is there for a minute. It might grab your attention, but there is no lasting impact. Or James Merritt said it well this week that I read. He said, someone may be able to move people's minds through their powerful words and eloquent speech. But without love, no speech can move the heart of God. And I don't think he's saying, hey, inspiring speech or eloquent words are beautiful. It's not that they're bad and it's not that we don't need them. But he says, love is greater than all of that. Well, the second thing he shows us that love is greater than is found in verse 2. He says, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains... But I have not love, I am nothing. So I would say this, love is greater than brilliant knowledge or even bold spirituality. Now, I think what Paul's doing, he's not trying to diminish spiritual gifts. In fact, he just talked about it in the last chapter, and he's going to talk about it in the next chapter. He's not at all trying to diminish the importance of the gifts of the Spirit or even bold faith. He says they're absolutely needed. But he wants to show us that nothing compares to genuine love. Meaning someone could have a list of degrees on display. They could have insight into deep spiritual truths that seems that no one else can see. Yet without love, it's absolutely useless. Or somebody or it may seem like they've got mountain moving faith. That there isn't anything they can't do. And they are going to accomplish great things for God. And I have known people like that. But he says, but if they do not have love, it will amount to nothing. So he says, first of all, love, man, it's greater than the most beautiful words you've ever heard. It's even greater than uh, knowledge that it seems like a person has that no one else can. Or even bold spirituality or faith. He says, love is... Is greater. But there's a third thing in verse 3. He says if I give away all I have. And if I deliver up my body to be burned. I mean doesn't that sound like self-sacrificing love? It does to me. I want to go Paul. We need that. We need people that are willing to give everything over. But he says but if not love. If you have not love. I gain nothing. So there's what I would say. The third one. Love is greater than personal sacrifice. Now, if you're like me, you're thinking, but doesn't true love require self-sacrifice? And I think Paul is saying absolutely, but he's saying you have to be careful. Because if we're not careful, even self-sacrifice can be self-centered. The people on the surface can seem to be very sacrificial, but behind it, they're just self-serving. So I think Paul is saying, personal sacrifice, it is good, it is needed. But you know the greatest investment we can give someone? It's not laying our lives down in front of a train. It's not taking a bullet. The greatest thing that we can invest for other people, Paul says, is love. Now, I would say that the true love does take sacrifice. But Paul says love is greater than beautiful speech. It's greater than brilliant knowledge and bold spirituality and faith and even self-sacrifice. Now we get to what love is. And Paul's going to give 14 descriptions. So anytime he takes some time to labor over it, he wants us to see the importance. And he's going to give 14 descriptions of love. So let's read a few of them and we'll, I'll kind of just hit the highlights. First, next three verses. He says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. So quickly, let me walk through some of these. And you know most of these, I, I know. He says love is patient. It's two words. He takes this word, if you're ever in economics, you've got your macro and your macro. It, it's the big word. It's the long word. And then he uses this word for heat or passion, meaning love is long-tempered. Love has a long fuse, as someone once said. The capacity to be wronged and not retaliate. He says, love is kind. And this phrase, this is the only time it's ever used in the entire New Testament. And it's this weird idea. It's going to a restaurant or at home. And it's having food put in front of you that tastes good and that is good for you. It's got these multiple benefits. It's satisfying in one way, but it's also satisfying in another. He's saying be quick to pay back with kindness. Something that's good for someone. Even when it hurts. It's not natural, he's saying, that when we hurt, we want other people to feel just as bad as we do. But love is kind. It's to them what they need the most. What tastes good to them. What their body needs. Does not envy. Love isn't jealous. It's not getting jealous about what someone has. And it's being able to celebrate what someone does have. It's not boastful or arrogant. Meaning it deflects praise. It's not looking for the spotlight. It wants God and others to have the honor. And we are so good at hiding this one. If you've ever seen it, you know it's called the humble brag. All I have to do is find something that was I did or whatever or I accomplished and post out there. And all you have to do—here's the secret—all you have to do is put hashtag blessed, and everybody's oh man, didn't they do great? It's nothing but a humble brag. Don't let them confuse you. It's not rude. The NIV says does not dishonor others, doesn't put others down. Love is courteous. Love is not self seeking, it's selfless. Loving someone before they love you, even when they don't deserve it. Others' needs above mine is what Paul's saying. Now, I wish he'd left this other one out. Love is not irritable, meaning it doesn't allow everything to bother it. Don't know who Paul was talking to there, but I'll take it. Does not keep a record of wrong. Meaning love does not keep a ledger of evil. It doesn't hold grudges. It leaves room for people to make mistakes. And when they do, forgive them and overlook the expense. And he says, love finds no joy in uprightness, but rejoices in the truth. And this is a hard one. Because this type of love he's talking about is being able to go to someone and to lovingly Tell them the truth. Now that part might actually be a little easier for us. But the flip side of that is being able to sit and listen and to hear. When someone comes to me with the truth I need to hear. Regardless of how painful or unpleasant it can be. So he's given us several things that love is. And then he gives us verse 7. And Paul does this in a lot of his books where he's going to lay out two bookends and then right in the middle he is going to give us how this happens. So he says in verse 7, Love, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And anytime he repeats himself, we know it's important. So he's not talking about a few instances. He says all. Four different times. And so here's how it's laid out. And I asked uh, uh, this graphic to be put together. This is how it goes. Love bears all things, meaning this love always protects. You know, it's like a mother watching over her cubs. Love always protects, believes all things, meaning that love always trusts. It hopes all things, meaning love always hopes. And then it endures all things, that love always preserves. So he's given us two things that love is about. Love is going to bear all things and it's going to endure all things. Meaning love is going to bear, it is going to protect. It's like a mother watching over her young cub. And on the other end, love endures and it preserves. It does what it is necessary for it to last. Love does whatever necessary to protect that relationship, to keep it going. And this is about any relationship, whether it's in marriage or church or with friends. Because I believe most of our relationships that we would look back that we've had trouble with is going to deal with what this verse is talking about. Because most of the time, almost every problem that we experience in relationships can all be traced back to one thing, and it's unmet expectations. Doesn't mean it always starts out that way, but it usually almost all problems can be tied to unmet expectations. The difference between what I expect and what actually happens. Can you put that back up? Because it goes right in to this phrase. Because notice, love does two things. It's going to bear. It's always going to protect. And it's always going to preserve and endure. It's going to do whatever it takes. And he shows us right in the middle how that happens. That love Always believes or always trusts. Meaning this, that love believes the best in others. And anytime an expectation is unmet, we've got an opportunity. Tell my wife I'm going to be home at five. I show up at six o'clock. She has an opportunity here. She's going to take and she's going to do something with that. Unmet expectation. There's a difference between what she expects and what actually happens. And we do this all the time. We fill in that blank. And we can either fill it in with trust or distrust. Oh, maybe he got held up at the office and somebody walked in. She's filling that in with trust. Or oh, maybe he stopped off to buy me flowers and a bottle of wine. And he's going to surprise me when he gets home. Or we can fill in that gap with distrust. And it happens all the time. And then we begin filling in blanks. Well, I thought they were going to say this, but they said this. And I wonder why. And we start getting into our own heads. And we start filling in the gap. Another way this happens, it says, love always hopes. So love always believes the best, gives people the benefit of the doubt. But love also hopes. Love hopes and desires the best for others, even at the cost to myself. The true love says, I want what is best for you, even at a cost to myself. So love bears all things. It's always going to protect in that relationship, and it's always going to do whatever it can take to maintain it. And how do you do that? We trust, and we hope. We believe the best, and we hope for the best. And most of the time, that requires us to make some type of sacrifices, You know, I can think back over my life, and there's lots of relationships that I would look back, and I hate how they've ended. Some needed to end for good reasons. The others ended, and I still regret it today, at least how the relationship is now. Because most of the time, it's because I think two people begin thinking, you know what, man, if they'll just do this, well, then I'll do that. Hey, when they say this, then I'll come back and then I'll say that. When they do this for me, then I'll do that. But I think Paul is showing us, but true love goes first. Paul then uses the next phrase to kind of give an exclamation point on his, uh, what's going to be his next point. Because look at what he says in verse 8. The fourth thing, thing, love never ends. So true love... It has absolutely no expiration date. But notice the thing Paul does. He says, Something will end, but not love. He says, And for prophecies, and they're going to pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. And for knowledge, it will pass away. Because every single gift, every single spiritual grace that is given, is given for the church for it to be built up and strengthened and to bring it to maturity. But there'll come a time, there'll come a day that those gifts are no longer needed. So when are they no longer needed? Well, I'm glad you asked because Paul answers it in verse 9. And for we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, The partial will pass away. There's a lot of discussion on what the perfect is. Well, here would be my answer. When all of God's purposes, when every single purpose God has for humanity, when all of that comes to pass and it is realized and it is fulfilled, a life in the world to come after Jesus appears on earth, when Jesus comes and sets all things right, Paul is saying the graces, the gifts are no longer be needed. Meaning this the moment that you and I arrive in heaven, it will be the very first time that we get to experience perfect love. Not just perfect love for God, but perfect love for Him and perfect love for each other. Because he says love never ends. And the reason is because God is love and God cannot end. And one day we will get to experience that in its fullness. So Paul then closes talking about what happens in the here and now until that time. He says, you know, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. And now we see in a mirror dimly. But then face to face, now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. I think Paul is saying, man, keep our eyes on the destination and the future. Remind ourselves of that truth of what will be one day. But in the meantime we strive through the Spirit's guidance and help to live out that love here and now. Now, are we going to get it perfect? Absolutely not. But shame on us for not trying. Because I think even in the smallest of ways, that we can move a little bit closer to that perfect love, where we can reach out to that friend and say, you know what, true love goes first. Or we can call that person or whatever the relationship might be. But when we can go first and we can move a little bit closer to that reality. I think it is displaying what one day will be true. Just giving us a little bit of glimpse of what that's going to be. Each and every moment we get to move closer. We have an opportunity to move closer to that reality. So for me what is clear about God's definition of love is this. It's very different from the kind of love that's often promoted, at least that I see, by Christians and non-Christians. That God's love is not always romantic or pleasurable or fun. But His love can be costly and sometimes painful. But it's enduring and unbreakable as it deepens over time. Man, it celebrates the highs with people. It bears the lows. It sustains us in all seasons. And it is far better than what I often see. It's the love for which you and I, I think, were made. That he has put that deep inside of us. So I want to say this regardless of what you might think about God today. Today. I believe He wants us to experience His definition of true love. And I want you to know, if you never have, His love is available to you today. Today to be the day that you begin to take the first drink of what it actually means to be truly loved. Because I want you to know, God has gone to great lengths to demonstrate His love to you. And to open a door for you to experience His love. Because I think the greatest picture, and there's lots of them in the scriptures, but one of the greatest is this. It's something we read about and we sing about and for many of us can experience today. And it comes from Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know what that says to me? True love goes first. That when you and I were at our worst, God sacrificially moved toward us. That true love goes first, even when it is costly and it is painful. In fact, this kind of love that we read about, it isn't just hard, it's absolutely impossible. Impossible. In fact, you and I, we can't experience this love that he is talking about until we have first received his love. Then, when that happens, that is the only time we even have a chance of getting close to what the goal is. Because God's love is bigger than any human love and we cannot give what we do not have. But true love goes first. Just like he did. And then now we have an opportunity, probably multiple times a day, to remind ourselves, man, as hard as this is, as painful as this is, whatever the break in that relationship is, remind ourselves that true love goes first. And so this morning, I want to close by doing something that I think is someone, to someone's, actually, that I would put at the top of the list of someone living this out. But I promised them this. I promised them I wouldn't make them come up here. And I promised them they wouldn't have to say anything. But I didn't promise that I wouldn't say anything. Um, there's a couple in our midst that was here long before me there was actually a part of when Bethel started over 40 years ago. Saw it from its beginning stage. Then there was a time, almost 10 years ago, that for a small stint, about nine months, they had to move to San Antonio. And I think they would tell you it's one of the hardest seasons they've ever gone through. But the one thing they did while they were there, even in the land of great food in Tex-Mex, they found a church. They got plugged in. Even in a life group. Oh, but the blessing came that they got to move back into their home that they hadn't sold. And the chance to come back to Bethel. And at the moment, God had been doing something. That God thought, you know what? I'm going to plant a campus in White House, Texas. And here's what that couple did. They could have gone back to where they were, usually at the South Campus, and they could have gone back into the same friend group, into the same live group, into the things that were most comfortable. But instead, they said, let's probably be one of the couples that are going to drive the furthest, and let's go and help and be a part of that campus. And I can tell you as a young guy that was cutting his teeth on what it meant to be a campus pastor. I could not be more thankful and grateful than for Paul and Patty Keel. I'm telling you, this couple, Paul has loved me well. He's loved this campus well. And he's loved Bethel well. And he encouraged me. He challenged me, and you know, Paul, there were even a few times he corrected me, and I needed it, and I needed it, but he did it in such a loving and humble way. Uh, I will never forget those moments. He helped his campus walk through some very, very difficult things that probably could have exploded this campus. Um, so, Marla, will you come on up and help me for just a moment? And then, behind every... Great man, you know there's an even greater woman. Miss Patty has been just so faithful. I think she's taught all of our children. Um, Many of yours, so faithful. And if you listen real quietly, sometimes you can hear her. Um, Because she probably hates public speaking more than almost anything. So here's what I did. I, I thought about them. What makes them special. And Paul is a guy... That Paul is constantly, no matter who it is, whether it's on the Buffalo River, in a a life group, or in an elder meeting, or wherever it might be. Paul is a guy that is constantly pouring into other people. And that's how I see Paul. And so, from everyone, I got Paul a mug. If you can see, it says kill on it. So, Paul, you can put you some iced tea or a frosty beverage and... uh, I hope that every time you're taking a drink that you're going to be reminded of how much I love you, this, these people love you, and Bethel loves you, and how just grateful we are to have known you. Uh, because if you don't know, maybe I jumped ahead, uh, they're going to be moving to Conroe. Um, they're going to be moving closer to family. and uh, So I didn't get you just one. I got you a set of four, but the bag would have been too heavy in the back. Uh, then there's Sweet, Sweet Patty Keel. Patty has got this unique gift that she, it doesn't matter who you are, she always makes you feel welcomed. You could be a Cyclops, and Patty is going to make you feel welcomed. So we thought that, you know, they're going to be moving into a new home, and she just makes everybody feel so welcomed. And so if you would, as long as it lasts, would you grace your home with a reminder That she is so welcoming, and I found out they were married in 1974, so going on uh, 50 years. I won't tell you how I remember that. Um, So we hope that, man, every time somebody's coming or going, um, they're going to be welcome because that's just who Patty is. But then there's another thing. Patty is the most hospitable person I think I've ever known. Um, We started having elder meetings, and Paul lives over by the lake, and it's a long drive, so... I thought, hey, let's just go to Paul's house one night. That'll be easier on him. Lo and behold, God knew what he was doing. He's like, hey, Patty will cook. Then from then on, man, it was, that's where we're going. And she would feed us. And it was a blessing for her. Um, I think every time we've moved, Paul and Patty have been there lifting boxes. I never would have thought of this. One day she came to the house we're now and she says no argument but give me your bed sheets okay that's strange she goes home and washes them brings them back and not only just hands them to us but makes our bed and i have never seen anybody that can make a bed like patty keel those corners were tighter than anything you've ever seen in the military but she is just full of hospitality So then any time that she may be getting out that cutting knife or that rolling pin, we wanted you to be reminded of how much we love you and we appreciate you uh, because you'll never know the impact you've had on me. You'll never know the impact you've had on all of us. They just won't until they get to experience true love. And I hope I'm there in that moment to just be able to see all the investments they have made over the last 40 years in people. Because I know I can say, and you can probably say too, I am better for knowing Paul and Patty Keel. So we're going to miss them terribly. I know I'm heartbroken over it. At the same time, we never want to stand in God's way, and we wish them the best. Uh, So I'm not going to make them come up here, but do not let them leave without you getting to them and hugging their neck and shaking their hand and all of that. Um, I know Paul's already going to be crying, And that's okay. Uh, But. That's all I can say. So I want to pray for them. And. uh, Then we'll be dismissed. Father. um, Thank you for. Being so sovereign. And knowing. That we would be walking through this chapter about true love. On the day that uh, we are setting aside to honor. I don't want to say goodbye until next time we see Paul and Patty Keel. Lord, my life will not be the same. And I'm thankful because I have known them. I've seen them pour their lives into so many people. There's so much I want to continue to learn from them to apply to my life to all the things that I've seen in them, their kindness, their goodness, their gentleness, all the things that we read about love. Lord, I know they are not perfect, but Lord, they're about as close as I've seen. Lord, I am blessed to call them friend, and they have been a tremendous blessing to so many here to this campus. And to Bethel at large. And Lord we pray your blessings over them. As they're into the final weeks of their house getting ready. And job change and adjusting to new neighborhoods. And making new friends. Lord would you bless them immensely. Would their cup just runneth over. So Lord we thank you for them. We are honored to be in their presence. And Lord I ask this. And the only name I know how. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, and by the power of your Spirit, amen and amen. Church, thank you for being here. You are dismissed. Make sure you see them before they leave. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. If you have questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com.